Now, we return to the gospel according to John. Jesus does amazing things. Jesus says amazing things, and some people are confused and frustrated by them. I think that's a great way to sum up the theme of John's gospel thus far. Things are going to change, but not just yet. We have one more instance where Jesus interacts with some folks and riles them up pretty good. He says some stuff that people don't really like, and they try, once again, to kill him. It's funny that those are the same words that I pray give us some hope and some peace this morning. Let's see if we can hear them. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? If he called them God's, to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us. Oh God, we come to you this morning, and we have recorded for us some words of Jesus that, to be honest, are somewhat confusing. They don't really make sense, and so it's easy for us to distance ourselves from them to not really pay close attention to them. And so I ask that you would send your Spirit to our hearts to awaken it, to help us hear Jesus' words, not just as a few little statements, but as powerful, as life-giving. I pray that through the words of Jesus applied through your Spirit, we would be changed to be more like Him. pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Bob Gale was a lifelong St. Louis Cardinals fan, and in the late 1980s, he was working on a screenplay for a movie, and he decided to write in a little joke to make fun of how long it had been since the Chicago Cubs had won the World Series. At that point in the 80s, it had been almost 80 years. That movie you probably have seen, Back to the Future 2. It's funny because Marty McFly goes to the year 2015 in the future, And when he gets there, there's a sign that says, congratulations, Cubs. You've swept the Miami baseball team. It was the Miami Gators. And Marty McFly looks at it, and the joke is he goes, no way. 
Gale wrote that it, the point of the script was even in the future, no one would believe that the Cubs could win. He said he chose Miami because at that point in the 1980s, Miami had no baseball team. And so his point was to say, not even in a fictional future could the Cubs win the World Series. Well, guess who won the World Series in 2015? The Kansas City Royals. But it would have been funny if it was. In fact, it was the next year, 2016, that the Cubs finally won their first World Series in 108 years. Everyone was laughing, but as 2015 came around, it almost came true. Now, words do matter. What people say matters. We shouldn't necessarily take the words of comedies that seriously, but we do need to recognize that when people speak, we should be paying attention to the words they're saying. The Jews surrounding Jesus did, and they didn't like what they were hearing. People are angry. Jesus claimed to be one with the Father. You might remember from last week that they had had enough of his of funny wordplay, of all of his actions, and they said, just tell us the truth. Are you the Christ, the one that the Father has sent or not? And Jesus goes one step further. He says, I and the Father are one. That's it. Too far. They pick up stones to kill him. He says, why? And they say, because of blasphemy. You who are a man are making yourself to be God. Jesus' response to that charge is interesting. And interesting might not even be the right word. I would say strange. Almost like Jesus is having a completely different conversation. And if you're honest with yourself, a lot of times Jesus' words do feel distant from you as well. They seem unrelated, not applicable to what you're going through, almost like Jesus is having a conversation that doesn't fit into your life. And so we reject the words, not in the same way that the Jews do necessarily, but with equal disregard. We just move past them. We ignore them, which is why this passage is so important for us, because it shows us that the words of Jesus are, in fact, powerful. They are life-altering, but when they don't make sense or they're hard for us to believe, Jesus invites us to hold on to His works in the same way that He does the Jews here. Jesus doesn't say, you have to believe everything that I've ever said. Do it now. Believe it all or else. He says, my beautiful works prove that my words are powerful. So believe my works. See what Jesus has done. See what he is doing in and through you. Two points for us this morning. When Jesus' words are hard, cling to his works. When Jesus' words are hard. Jesus has said some remarkable stuff in John's gospel things that clearly reveal His power and authority over creation, that He is, in fact, God Himself walking among His creatures. And here, in this encounter, it's the fact that He no longer disguises or alters or or puts a veil on His words, but comes out directly and says, I and the Father are one. It's not just His words, but it's the way that He says it as well. He is referencing the Shema, one of the most favorite, most memorable passage of the Old Testament for Jews at the time. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
This was repeated by Jews over and over again. And he uses this phrasing because he knows this is one thing that they all held on to as a foundation for the God they worship. What sets their God apart, the one true God? The fact that He is one God. So he references it by saying, I and the Father are one. Jesus says, yeah, that's me. And they're going to kill him. They say, you are making yourself to be God. And so Jesus quotes a psalm, Psalm 82, which I printed in the front of your bulletin to help you know what the actual wording is. But just to condense it and to explain it quickly, in the psalm, God speaks with judgment against those who are supposed to be leading his people by following God's word. These were the prophets the priests, the kings to whom God had given charge to preach his word to the people. These leaders had been entrusted with God's word. And God says, O you gods, sons of the Most High. He refers to those to whom the word of God has been given as gods. He calls them sons of the Most High. And so Jesus says, we know that nothing is wrong with Scripture, We know that Scripture cannot be broken. He's using their own religious uh, affirmation of the Old Testament to his benefit. He says, if a person who has been entrusted with the Word of God is called a God and sons of the Most High by God himself, why is it wrong for the actual Word of God and the actual Son of God to call himself that? He has proven his point perfectly. No fallacy detected. The problem is he is trying to reason them into agreement, and they have already written him off. Nothing that he says is going to convince them. I kind of know what that feels like. Most of the time when I meet someone new and they ask what I do for a living, I have a choice. I can tell them that I work for a church, and the conversation probably continues. But if I say I'm a pastor, almost always things shift. They've already decided what kind of person I am, how I'm going to interact with them. And it doesn't matter what I say. Even if I'm like, hey, come, come to my house. We'll have dinner. It'll be great. We'll have good food. We can have some good wine. doesn't matter. They've already made an assumption about me. Even if I say, I'm not like that. I'm a, I'm a cool pastor. I like to go fishing. I do CrossFit. Well, that just writes me off even worse. But it doesn't matter how I try to reason with people. Making that statement makes up their mind. And it creates separation in many people's minds between me and them, how I am and how I will relate to them. And for most of us, the same is true about us in Jesus. Sometimes when his words come into our mind or when other people remind us of something that he has said, it feels so distant. It leads us to to make a, a specific thought about who Jesus is. His words seem so obtuse, we make up our minds. We distance ourselves from those words or from Him. We don't even try to apply them to what's going on. This happens a lot. And oftentimes when we don't like the words Jesus says, we, we try to make up our own Jesus words, right? So, like, example, Jesus says, this is how they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Jesus, have you met some of your disciples? It's really hard for me to love them. We would much rather have Jesus said, this is how they'll know that you're my disciples, by having the right approach to the world. 
by having all the right answers, the right political view, the right response to the pandemic. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's ridiculous. Who would actually want to do that, Jesus? That's so… I would much rather Jesus say, you know what? Ghost those that you don't like and cut all of those that you deem not worthy out of your life. Jesus says, if you hate someone in your heart, you are liable to the same punishment as someone who has committed murder. No, hating someone and murder are clearly two different things, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. I would much rather Jesus have said, you know what, it's okay to hate someone as long as you don't do anything with that hate. Just let it rot you from the inside and turn you bitter. That's okay. Jesus says, whenever you have clothed and visited and fed and cared for the least of your brothers and sisters, you have done it for me. That is why you are my sheep. Jesus, that's so inefficient. And it's so hard to do those things for other people. Why Jesus couldn't have just said, you are welcome into the sheepfold when you've kept your nose clean. You've influenced the right people and you have achieved so much. I would rather Jesus have said that. And I got to tell you, as I watch what's happening in Ukraine and I read the news and I see the videos and the fear and despair and sorrow bubbles up, Jesus' words seem further and further and further away. I see fathers in tears putting their wives and children onto buses and turning back to protect their country, and Jesus' words seem thousands of years away. Prince of peace? Really? How can you be king over all creation and this is happening? How can you be near and present and yet this level of atrocity and suffering is taking place? It is hard for us to believe Jesus' words due to a conflict thousands of miles away playing out before our eyes. How much harder, then, is it to believe Jesus' words calling us to consider the needs and desires of others more important than our own when you're in the midst of a marriage that is struggling? How much harder is it to believe the words of Jesus night after night when you're alone and you desperately want connection? How hard is it to believe Jesus' words for provision and security in the midst of a potential financial collapse for your family, for your company, for a nation? When your kids have awakened you for the 50th night in a row, when your boss continues to mistreat you and assign you blame, when you look at your life and you wonder how much better it could have been if you had just in the blank. Jesus' words, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They seem good, but they seem so far away, so distant. I suspect that you, like me, and like the man in Mark 9, who longed for his son who was oppressed by a demon to be healed, often hear the words of Jesus and respond, Lord, I believe, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. So often when it comes to hearing and following Jesus' words, it is hard to believe. Jesus says, cling to my works. Cling to His works. 
I hope that this is a great comfort for those of us struggling with unbelief. Jesus' response to the crowd who thinks that he has gone crazy, that he should die for what he is saying, that he and the Father are one, his response is not anger. It's not even disappointment. It's an invitation. He had already tried to get their attention to the, the signs that he had committed, the, performed, these miracles that he had done. Back when they picked up the stones, he said, I've done many erga kala, Greek for good works, or actually better translated, beautiful works. I've done many beautiful things, Jesus says. Which of these are you going to kill me for? Now, he's not ridiculous. He doesn't think they're actually going to kill him for something that he's done. What he's trying to do is to show them that his words and his works go together hand in hand, that the things that he's done, these beautiful actions, actually confirm what he is saying, that he is, in fact, God. And when they reject it, when they respond angrily, Jesus says this, verse 37, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me, but if I do them. Even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus's attitude toward unbelief is compassion and understanding. Let me say that again, and let me direct it at you personally. Jesus's attitude toward your unbelief is compassion and understanding. He says, I get it. Even if you can't believe, even if you don't believe my words, believe my works. Now, this idea should make sense to us. This idea is built into us as a people. The the 14th century proverb was, it is right that everything himself showeth in the tasting. Thankfully, it was translated and adjusted in 1608 by author William Camden to the phrase we all know, all the proof of a pudding is in its eating. Perhaps you know the 1990s version a little bit better. You can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? We understand this idea. Sometimes what you do speaks louder than what you say. And Jesus says here, you don't believe my words? You don't believe what I'm saying? It's hard for you to believe what I'm saying? What about my actions? You can't deny what I've done. Now, for the Jews around him, he's referencing the fact that just a few uh, minutes prior, he had healed a man born blind, right? But John has also already cataloged for us some amazing, beautiful things that Jesus has done. He turned water into wine so that a wedding feast could continue. He revealed a woman's life story to her at a well. She was an outcast. He chose not to continue to cast her out, but instead, by telling her what she had done and how he could change her life, changed her whole relationship with her community. Right? He healed a paralytic who had been sitting next to a pool for 30-something years. Jesus has done amazing things in the lives of these people. They've known it. They've seen it. Their communities have witnessed Jesus' beautiful works, and it's changed them, their communities. It's changed their life stories, and they were continue to be told 
year in and year out, all the way up to this very day. Jesus' actions are beautiful. And Jesus has done some amazing, beautiful things in you too. This is one of the reasons that God brings us into a community, into His family, because each one of us has a different story about the way that Jesus has worked beautifully in our lives. And when we begin to tell those stories to each other, point each other to the beauty of Jesus, it creates this even bigger picture, this tapestry, if you will, a quilt of God's beauty, of His faithfulness and His work in us. I know that Jesus has done beautiful things in your, in your lives. He has seen some of you through utter financial ruin, He has walked with you through great relationship loss. He has brought you children and family when you thought there was no hope. He has healed you when you were sick. He has sustained you when you thought that you could not go on one step one day further. The beautiful works of Jesus don't stop at the end of the gospel accounts. But perhaps it is there that we see His most beautiful work possible, the cross. Throughout his life and ministry, he continued to talk about salvation, about rescue, about loving those to whom the Father had given him, about laying down his life, about keeping his sheep safe. And it's at the end of the gospel accounts that he actually does it. The beautiful work of the cross comes out. There is beauty in the fact that Jesus was abandoned by all of his friends. There's beauty in the fact that he was falsely accused, mercilessly beaten, nailed to a cross. There's beauty in the fact that Jesus died. And there is great beauty in the fact that he rose again from the dead, because it is in those actions that your life and my life were secured. Because of our ugliness, our sin, we deserve death But the beauty of Jesus' death and resurrection brings to us His life. Now, some of you might be hearing this and saying to yourself, you're telling me that someone died and rose from the dead. That in and of itself is hard to believe. Those words are hard to believe, and I understand that. And that's exactly why we talk about grace as being a church where we want everyone to feel like they belong even if they don't believe yet. If you don't believe that Jesus is your Savior, your only hope for life, that His death and resurrection were not only real, but they were for you, guess what? You still belong here. We want you to stick around, to hear about His works, about the things that He has done in our lives, the things that that He has changed in us, rescued us from, shaped us with, so that you might hear words and see actions together. One of the things that I've seen unfold over the past week has been the ways in which Jesus' words and actions have shaped the Christians of Ukraine. It's amazing to think that this morning, the churches in Ukraine were full in the midst of war. One of the videos that I saw circulating earlier showed a house church, and the, the members of the church were singing, He will hold me fast. And it's in this song, in this hymn, that the words of Jesus 
and the actions of Jesus go together. The first stanza says this, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Listen to this one. For my life, He bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with Him to endless life, He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when He comes at last. His words might be hard to believe, but you cannot deny His actions. His death, His resurrection, His faithfulness to you all prove that His words are true and powerful and life-changing. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we confess our unbelief that your words, your promises, they feel distant. They're hard for us to trust in them. And so we cling to the cross, to the most beautiful action ever, God himself dying for us. And we thank you that it is because of your work, your death and your resurrection, that we are able to call ourselves your children that we have life eternal, that Your Spirit dwells within us because of Your works. I pray that that would give us the ability to believe Your words. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen.